Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What worked for other men in previous generations is no longer fit for purpose in my mind. And actually, a lot of men fall into traps of their own making because of the gender conditioning that we receive in our younger years and adolescence. You know, I think typically men are taught to be strong in that, you know, big boys don't cry, that they have to man up. And what that does actually, it shuts a lot of men down. Super keen to jump into the journey before the book in yep. respect to your journey that led you into the military and the journey that led you out and also what you do today ultimately and that let the driving factor behind the book and and kind of that moment of change that you articulate that kind of changed you and why. So without further ado, I think it's probably best to dive straight into it, like a little introduction to who you are, what you do and why. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to, to come on and to share my message with uh, the, the people that trust you and choose to invest their time in your podcast. So my name's Dan Stanley. I'm a coach. I only work with men, exclusively with men. Typically, my clients are men that are professionally successful and in high-pressure roles. And as a consequence of their professional success, uh, they may be experiencing some unwanted or adverse conditions, burnout, loneliness, poor mental health, disconnecting the marriages. Uh, and over the last four years and under the banner of Better Men, my coaching business, I've been holding space for good men to make sense of their busy and stressful lives with a view to either subtly changing their trajectory or, or choosing to change their trajectory completely. Uh, but ultimately, it's about helping good men live better lives. Amazing. But before we kind of dive into the the detail of it, uh, I am keen to just uh, lean back into kind of your own upbringing and like you obviously spent some time in the military, but like kind of looking back, what led you towards that pathway and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, I'm really open, Peter. And the reason I am is because I, I hope that it gives other men permission to be open about their own life's journey. So I didn't know it at the time. It's only through kind of my own journey, through introspection and through coaching and some therapy that I've kind of been able to connect the dots. But ultimately, I joined the military because I was running away from a life that just didn't feel, it didn't feel as, as, as I wanted it to be. Uh, to give that some context. So my dad left when I was young. In fact, I haven't really got any memories of my dad being in my life. And uh, when I was playing sport and when I was in school, other dads on the on the sideline um, of when I was playing rugby league, cheering their sons on. Uh, and I had a granddad who was he was a great man, and uh, he taught me lots of useful things about life. But you know, I, I still didn't have a dad there. Uh, then kind of two parent families having two sources of income meant that some of my friends had things that I didn't. And, and at the time I kind of just felt different to, to some of my peers. And I thought my career was going to be in rugby. Um, I was playing at a reasonable level of rugby uh, and I thought that that might've been the, the, the trajectory that my life went in. But when that didn't happen, I kind of, I, I ran away and joined the military and, uh, I probably spent two and a half, three and a half decades of my life running away trying to find a sense of belonging and fit in and to be to be validated for being enough. But ultimately, I never felt that way about myself. Yeah, in 2017, which was the the kind of the, the catalyst for, for what can only be described as an identity crisis or midlife crisis, I was um, a retired award-winning army commando, a national sporting champion. As a successful business owner, it helped my wife as well grow a multi-million pound service-based business. I was married to a beautiful woman. I had a beautiful daughter. And yet, all of my success was superficial. Yeah, I was secretly suffering, trapped inside my own mind, wondering why I kind of ticked all of these life boxes, but didn't feel the way I expected. Yeah, I was anxious. I was uncertain. I felt lost. My self-talk was particularly critical and chastising and fear-inducing. And, and at the time, I didn't realize it was, it was happening. And I think because of the constructs of masculinity and the way that young men are perhaps conditioned and raised, you know, I felt unable to, to speak up about what I was experiencing. And I, and I manned up instead of opening up. And uh, yeah, it was a perfect shitstorm in many respects. 
Exactly. It's an experience that so many of us go through, right? But like, I guess it's different to what a lot of us do go through is, is like you went for the routine and the regime of the military. And also within that, like you became a distinguished award-winning army commando. But what was what was it like in those days within the military where you felt that you were running away from something? Yeah, I didn't realise at that time, Peter. I was in what I would call mission mode. And I think a lot of men will be able to relate to this. You, you have it perhaps from an early age an intention of who you want to be in the world. And usually, typically, that's aligned to a sense of identity from a career I kind of wanted to, to push on in my career in the military. And I think that there's, to be honest, there's a lot of similarities uh, between kind of the military, high-level corporate, professional sport, in that there's a clear kind of rank structure or pathway forward in terms of progression. Uh, and, I, and I think often what we're taught is that the person that struggles, sacrifices the most, perhaps is the most successful. Uh, and, and I really got caught up in that world. I would be what the military would call a badge collector. I went on every course that I could go on uh, and usually came top or in the top third of every course, but always looking to fill that, that hole in my heart, always looking for that external validation. And looking back now, that's what I recognized. I probably had my own insecurities, but I was able to hide those behind the, the career pathway of the military, behind the rank that I wore and my uniform. And in many respects, I think the military is a, is a really great, safe proving ground for for men that are insecure about themselves yeah and it does you know you talk about wanting that kind of external validation it does sound like there's a parallel to be drawn between like the lack of a father figure in your early years to kind of where you were within the military but equally like there's there's amazing things like some of the people that i chat to that have been in the military like it teaches you you know consistency like to you know routine you know we talked in previous podcasts to an amazing lady called grace lorden and she talks about a me plus like a better version of yourself and always striving to be that version and mm. i've just been listening to david goggins this morning like my God, his journey is just unreal. But he taught the one of the things that kind of stuck with me on that particular book is is that parallel between actually it's not just motivation, it's it's drive and obsession towards something that is is ultimately for the benefit of not just you, but the people around you. So like we could all be motivated and get up and yeah. go for a run and whatever, yeah. but it's actually in the in the times of pain, in the times of turmoil and challenge that you find out a lot about yourself and what you're really made of. And and that kind of, that resonated a lot within the book that you, you've you written. And yeah, congratulations on the success that you're getting from the book. It's it's an amazing book. You know, let's talk about the five challenges, firstly, affecting modern day men, because I love the parallel you draw between the old blueprint and the newer version of the blueprint that we can get to later. But yeah, like let's talk about the old blueprint that, um, and the five challenges affecting modern day men. Yeah, sure. So if, if you look back across the pathway of men, if you go back all the way to, to, to World Wars, men came back from the, the World Wars kind of having experienced the, the trauma and the hardship and the brutality of war to a world that had already moved on. You know, in the UK, there have been a lot of GIs based here with the cinema and the silk stockings and the cigarettes. And kind of these guys had come back from the war and nobody really, they didn't know how to share what they'd experienced and nobody really wanted to hear it because everyone just wanted to move on and kind of forget the, the, the hardships that they've all experienced. Those men, they gave birth to the, the baby boomers generation and the baby boomers, you know, arguably men and women of uh, would be old enough to be our, our parents. You know, they, they were more aspirational. They weren't happy with just having this humble lifestyle. They wanted to kind of progress on. And, and the way that they found that they could do that was through the, through the work. And that's, you know, keeping up the Joneses was born from the baby boomers generation. But back in those days, it was a simple case of, you know, having a good car and a nice holiday and some of the, the kind of luxury items that were keeping up with the Joneses in the in the, perhaps the housing estate or the area that you lived. But what worked for other men of previous generations is no longer fit for purpose in my mind. And actually, a lot of men fall into traps of their own making because of the gender conditioning that we receive in our younger years and adolescence. You know, I think typically men are taught to be strong in that, you know, big boys don't cry, that they have to man up. And what that does, actually, it shuts a lot of men down. And, you know, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. And that's like it's like to be a man. You know, we have to be strong and we have to be silent. Uh, And then coming back to that point around, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, which in many respects, I think nowadays it's impossible to keep up because as soon as we compare ourselves through the lens of social media, we're opening up to a whole world that, that exists outside and beyond ourselves. And, and often what that can do is make what we've achieved feel as though it's insignificant and, and then we can't appreciate it. 
So the blueprint that was passed down by men of our father's generation about successful masculinity being about two things, about providing and protecting, actually meant it was quite a narrow definition of masculinity and one that doesn't fit with today's model of the world. And uh, I go on to say that in the book that masculinity in itself isn't toxic, but it is dysfunctional. The way that we apply perhaps some of the traits that we've inherited as men to today's world doesn't doesn't serve us well. And actually, it goes on to what I call create the top five challenges affecting modern day men. Uh, And the first, perhaps unsurprisingly, starts off with workaholism. Uh, And workaholism and burnout, uh, I think, are are rife in today's society. For a lot of men, they think that their self-worth derives from their net worth. And they push on in their careers and pursue professional success at the expense of their health, their happiness and the relationships. Uh, and ultimately, you know, they end up earning a living without the living. The second challenge is around loneliness. And I think because men are often so caught up in their world of work, they allow some of their friendships and connections to kind of just drift. And anecdotally, you know, I think there's a, a lot of what connects men nowadays is experiences from, from in many cases, decades ago. You've got men now in the in the late 30s and 40s and perhaps 50s that um, some of their best memories of their friends are from their university days, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and everyone's looking back and I'm encouraging men to, to look forward and to kind of reinvest in those, in those kind of meaningful connections and friendships. Uh, there's a blind survey. It was done by a mental health charity uh, and they found that 32% of men admitted that they don't have a best friend and, and for me, that's, you know, that's, that's a reflection of not just a gender problem, but perhaps a societal problem in that we're all, con- we're all busy, we're all in mission mode, uh, that we just don't have time to connect in meaningful ways. Uh, and because we don't connect in meaningful ways, there's a great book, Peter, because I know you're an avid reader, called mm-hmm. Lost Connections by Johan, Johan Harari. And, uh, and, and in that, you know, he, he succinctly says that a lot of poor mental health is is downstream from a lack of meaning and connection uh, and i think that you know mental health everyone has a spectrum of which and you know we're talking about it at a time now where it's you know bringing awareness to world mental health day what we need to recognize perhaps as agenda is that we can't paper over the cracks you know if we are anxious or if we're depressed then fundamentally that's a message from ourselves trying to articulate that perhaps something isn't working for us in the life that we're living that the fourth challenge so after workaholism and burnout loneliness and poor mental health is midlife crisis you know, kind of what got you to this stage in your life, which often stems from the from professional success, isn't going to move you forward into the areas that are perhaps more meaningful and 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 carry kind of create fulfillment for you. And Tony Robbins calls it the ultimate failure, uh, success without fulfillment. And I think when you have ticked a lot of life's boxes, you know, you live in a nice house and you drive a nice car, and that you can afford a few items that one might class as luxurious or, you know, uh, nice to haves but you still don't feel the way you expected. A lot of men will perhaps internalize that maybe they're not as successful as they thought they were, that they will perhaps be a little bit embarrassed or shameful or despondent about the life that they've created, but not choose to do anything about it in, in proactive ways. Uh, and the last challenge that I talk about is divorce. You know, no one ever knows what's happening behind closed doors or behind fake smiles. But uh, if you look at the, the data that's coming out from off the the wake of COVID, there was an uplift in 122%. Yeah, I put this in the book, 122% uplift in divorce inquiries after COVID. The way I kind of interpret that data is that without the distractions of life, people were forced to kind of sit in the discomfort of the lives that they've created, sat with partners and lives that perhaps they just didn't find meaningful or fulfilling. And, and, And the average age of a couple divorcing or a man divorcing is between 46 and 49. And at first of all, when I was putting this together, you know, the book, now this is all in chapter one, I was kind of thinking, bloody hell, feels a little bit like potentially I'm gaslighting here. And then I kind of realized I actually stopped and kind of reflected back on the, the, you know, the thousands of hours of coaching conversations I've had with clients over the last four years. And actually, this is what my clients are talking about, earning a living without, without living, kind of feeling lonely in their own lives, surrounded with people through digital media, but lacking meaningful connection, not knowing how to manage their mind because no one's ever taught them. And kind of getting to a point in their lives of where what got them here won't get them there. And then kind of looking at their wives and wondering kind of, you know, what happened to our marriage and how did we kind of end up in a space where maybe the love and connection isn't as strong as it was. And now all we do is pay the bills and we raise the children. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think um, listening to what you have to say, there's, there's so there was a lot of quotes and elements that you kind of had within the book one of the things that stood out to me was um there's no future in the past i can't remember which chapter you wrote that in but i was it's such a lovely saying because like 
you know, looking back to what you mentioned about, like, was it 32% of men don't um, grow up and don't actually have a best friend, which is insane. Like these past relationships you may have had in your teens and your twenties, like we grow as individuals every day. We wake up and we have an opportunity to change and develop our interests change and evolve. So the relationships likewise will as well. And it's okay to let go of relationships that aren't serving you in respect to your happiness and also yeah. in respect to where you want to go in life. Yeah. It's it then comes down to a thing of quality over quantity. Like when you know you can be a social butterfly and bounce off different um, friendship groups, but if you're not getting the quality of relationship with people, then it's often in your benefit to kind of let go of those and kind of look towards people you can be open to, people you can be honest with. And this is why, like, there's a lot to be said for relationships that are built on the central element of trust. Like you can you can trust to be open in your most difficult and challenging time with those people. And if they are as well um, during their moments, then it creates real bond. And you know that like you're going to have lasting friendships, but there are a lot of struggles that, that people face. Like we've chatted previously in podcasts about epidemics of isolation. So listening to you talk about loneliness and poor mental health, it's quite poignant on today's day that we're talking about this because it is apparent, but you know, we won't be able to break such stigmas unless we start openly talking about the challenges that we face. So one of the things that I really, really liked about that chapter and also other chapters is the reflection exercises you ask. So I'm going to ask you, the, the one that you actually have in the book, if you were honest to describe your current experiences of life in three words, what would those three words be? Fantastic. Engaged. I, I feel engaged. We're, we're recording on a Monday morning and I've just spent a weekend with friends and family and being outdoors, so I feel engaged. I feel aligned. Uh, and, and in that, I mean that I feel as though what I'm physically doing in the world is aligned to what I feel is my sense of purpose and my mission. I'm busy. I feel busy in a sense that with the book only being out over the last couple of weeks, I, I'm lacking what I would consider a, a real kind of pivotal thing for me in capacity. I haven't got a lot of capacity at the moment. My diary is 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 particularly busy. But again, I want to distinguish the difference between being busy and being productive. And maybe actually productive would be a better word because everything that's in my diary, including our recording today, for me is is aligned and is energizing and engaging. So actually, yeah, engaged, aligned and productive are probably the three words but for me that doesn't happen by chance you know one of the key tenets of uh, if actually it's actually chapter seven of the book there's nine chapters and chapter seven is called self-leadership and for me self-leadership is ultimately about influencing how you think feel and act in in accordance and relationship to the things that you want to achieve in your life so uh yeah um i can check in with those three because i i feel as i'm leading myself well yeah no it's uh, i truly resonate with what you have to say there because I think it's um yeah it's it's nice because I guess people get this when they read the book when they read the, the the journey that you've been on and like figure out like why and what's driving like the work that you do today like they'll realize that those three words have perfectly encapsulate who you are and what you represent so yeah it's amazing I think um if I were to ask the question about myself it's probably the pursuit of happiness you, you have this in the book so I will quote it like everything you've ever wanted to be is on the other side of fear. Yeah. And I and I figured out a few years ago that there was this thing, the regrets of the dying. I know it's quite dark, but like when you when you actually read those regrets of the dying, there's one about like living a life that others expect of you rather than the one that you want to live yourself. Yeah. And I was like, that changed me. And yeah, like now everything that I do is driven around like the journey rather than the destination. And I don't know where it'll take me, but I'm enjoying the road. So that's, um, yeah, like it's changing me because I see what's possible. And when you jump on board with this kind of growth journey rather than the fixed mindset, there's an awful lot that can be achieved. But I guess moving on to the next part of it, it's like there's, you do talk about the history of modern day masculinity and, um, you know, you talked about like world wars and, and like your your own experiences with fatherhood as well within the book that I think is actually quite poignant to look into as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that a father or somebody that identifies with perhaps taking some parental responsibility from a masculine perspective, I think it's a really pivotal role in, in a young man's life. And I think that, you know, if, if I was to, to share my my vision with what I'm doing with better men, uh, ultimately it's about redefining the standards of successful masculinity. Because I think that, that, you know, there's a reason 
there's a root cause of everything. And the symptoms we're experiencing now around those top five challenges of the, the workaholism, the loneliness, the poor mental health, the midlife crisis and divorce, that stems from somewhere. Uh, and actually, I think it's systemic in that lots of boys were taught that they needed to be strong, silent, successful in their in their in their young younger years and adolescence, and that's what was role modeled to them by men in their lives or people identified with perhaps being a father figure. Uh, and, and and in many respects, it doesn't work. I think that the patriarchy is actually quite restrictive, and that we try to achieve happiness at some point in our lives through control. But sometimes, like you said, Peter, we've got to kind of just uh, you know embrace the journey. And I know it sounds flippant, and perhaps it's a bit of a platitude now because of social media. But uh, ultimately, you know, one of the things that I've learned about my journey is that it kind of life will keep it inviting you to to change, to grow, to reinvent yourself. And and if you choose not to answer that call, often what you'll do is kind of create a sense where you just keep recreating your your own suffering. And to put that into context, for me, suffering is anything that's unwanted, you know, and that can be stress, can be anxiety, it can be work-life conflict instead of work-life balance, you know, and I think a lot of the time that if we listen to our intuition and we followed our own innate wisdom, that we'd have the answers to the challenges that we experience. And that wasn't necessarily role modeled to us because a lot of men would kind of set their stall out about kind of getting to a point where they could provide and protect for their families. And, and often what they provided wasn't really what I feel the young men needed. They provided, you know, a, a safe and secure home, which is great. But if that, if they weren't, if they didn't provide kind of emotional security or teach people how to think, how to feel, how to build relationships, how to communicate, then ultimately what we end up now with with a generation of men that they they only play from their strengths and not their sensitivities. And the outcome of that is that we're only half as good as we can be. Yeah, exactly. And and to look back at what that David Goggins book I was talking about earlier, like he talks about we're only like 40% of, of who we could potentially be, which is insane. Like when people push themselves to their limits and see what's possible change is inevitable and and you come out the other side so much stronger more driven and determined i think that it pivots more towards and you pick up on this in the book about legacy it's not simply doing something for the sake of it it's actually understanding legacy yeah. and what what you want to leave behind for future generations i was reading another book recently um called long path by ari wallach and he talks about how yeah we've got to become the ancestors our future descendants need and listening to you talk about legacy as well it just made so much sense to pick up on that discussion right now. Yeah, yeah. I suppose coming back to the top five regrets of the dying, it's really useful actually to to sometimes question our own mortality. When I'm doing client work, often we will we will look at mortality through what might seemingly at first glance like quite a glib lens, but actually in doing so, you know, you know, if you were to be a fly on the wall at your funeral, what would you want to hear said about you? And kind of when people then start kind of, you know, talking and expressing the things that they'd want to hear said about them at a funeral, then holding that up against their current life, um, you know, and often there's a disparity between the two because they don't align. And this comes back to probably the core, one of the core concepts of the book. I call it the myth of masculinity. Mm-hmm. The myth of masculinity is about the belief that we'll achieve personal happiness through professional success. And that's why kind of a lot of middle-aged men kind of get to a point in their lives where what got them there won't get them any further. And that's where the kind of reinvention needs to come from. Because if not, what will often happen is they'll put themselves out to pasture. They won't set new, meaningful and challenging goals. And what they'll do is kind of become a little bit comfortable, a little bit complacent. Um, and they'll just kind of throw themselves into work. And ultimately, then they'll retire, which on the surface doesn't sound too bad. But when I was putting the book together and I was doing some research around retirement, over half the people who retire don't enjoy it. And I kind of came to the conclusion that in many cases, retirement is just simply postponing all the things that we want to do with our lives and waiting to a point in which we have the time. So, you know, legacy for me is not about what's left in a will. Legacy is about the impact that you've had in your life. And for me, that, you know, it's really important. And, you know, longevity isn't a success marker in any sense whether that's in a relationship, in a career, and in a life. So just because you've lived a long time doesn't mean that it's been successful, rewarding, fulfilling, and meaningful. But when you get to a stage where you you look back on what, how you've lived and the impact you've had in other people's lives, for me, that's, that's what legacy is. And my personal mantra is head up, heart full. And I try to live head up, heart full every day. And, and, and what that means for me, the head up part, is about feeling proud about who I am and how I'm living, and the heartful pieces about connection. And when I was in the military, and I was in mission mode, and I was kind of very linear about life, and it was all about results uh, and outcome, you know, I lacked any real depth. 
I didn't have a great deal of self-awareness because I was too busy. I was too much in my mind. I was too much into achieving external goals, all in the pursuit of external validation. And so to really connect to that. So for me, my, my midlife crisis, my identity crisis was more of a, a breakthrough and a transformation. And that's a catalyst for who I am today. And, and I know that kind of, I know that I'm proud of what I'm passing on to, to tomorrow's, you know, the boys and girls of today, which are tomorrow's men and women. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing because it's like, you know, people are retiring with regret, right? So they're, they're kind of going out to pasture and looking back yep. at their lives and going like, what if? Yep. And that's a question that can only really be addressed on a continual basis through a process of reflection. Yeah. So you, like when, when you talk to people who are older, more wiser, that they've lived a, a longer life, if they start talking about regret, like it, it's sad really, because like we only get one chance at this. So if there's something deep down inside of you that you've always wanted to do, that you've, that you thought that like, it's, it's not possible, but so we'll just put it on a, on a shelf for another day, another week, another month, another year. What is really holding you back isn't the comparison paralysis that we see on social media. What's holding you back is yourself. You look at yourself with honesty and and just be be truthful to yourself and be that person that you want to be. Uh, because like anything's possible when you go down that pathway. Yeah. You you don't want to like get to a, a time when you're retiring and you you know you're passing on those elements of regret to future generations like we have a real great opportunity now to leave a legacy for everybody um in the work that we do today and the work that we do tomorrow and it's ultimately yeah it's up to us to do some do something more do like not not, not just for ourselves and like our own internal happiness but externally like the, the world that we live in it could be so much better than it is at this current point in time so <laughs> consider that what are you running from yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people don't realize that they're running from something because they're, they're so caught up in the, in the busyness of everyday life and, you know, firefighting through through emails and the external expectations, uh, all, all in the hope of kind of not really rocking, rocking the boat. But, uh, you know, and that's why I think in many respects, and without being callous, that COVID was a real gift because when it kind of pressed pause, there was also an opportunity to press reset. And, you know, the amount of people, the amount of men that I saw, you know, out cycling with their children or walking their dogs in the day, you know, and people are kind of reconnected to to themselves and to nature. Uh, and I think it's a real travesty if, if we kind of let that drift away. You know, for, for me, part of the book, I, I identify what I call the anti-values because we kind of all want to live a connected and meaningful and fulfilling life. Uh, and the first anti-value is capacity. I think because that our tabs are always open and we've optimized our life for efficiency, that the real challenge is that we just fill that space then with more work. And uh, I think that, you know, that really does compound our ability to leave a legacy that we're proud of. I think sometimes we get too comfortable as well. You know, I mentioned earlier that a lot of guys, because we achieve at high levels, because we're driven to to succeed, you know, they'll make partner in a firm or they will, you know, they'll earn X salary. Uh, and that's great. But then they don't then choose to set meaningful goals, which kind of keep them trapped in that lifestyle. And that's when they become complacent, you know, we neglect our health, our friendships, our families. And many men find themselves adrift in the second half of their lives. And, you know, I'm I'm 30, I'll be 39 at the end of the year. And I feel very fortunate to have experienced some adversity because that really woke me to the, the challenges, not just in my own life, but I think on a broader, a broader scale of, of men and modern-day masculinity. It's crazy, right? You look back at moments of adversity and challenge and, and like, while it's horrendous at the time, yep. you actually look back quite thankful that you've been for it because it, it kind of, it does... It it becomes the making of you. Like it 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 drives you to do more, believe more, dream yeah. more, and think that's more the more is possible. And and because of that, like it sets you on a pathway to to self development and growth that you know is no longer fixed within the confines of a lot of the structures that we've mentioned in respect to career growth progression. 
it's all quite linear like this is yeah. what you do and you know the next I want to go I want to be a director I want to be like a head of org or whatever it may be like actually what is that of benefit to you otherwise above and beyond salary like to some people that is that that is what drives them that is what they really want from from a life and that's fine not everybody wants to kind of not everybody needs to go on a self-development journey but I guess through challenge and turbulence like we're seeing in society at the moment like a lot of people are fixed at the the real turbulent effect that we live within at the moment through the likes of the cost of living crisis yeah. you mentioned covid but crisis is the catalyst for change. And there's real possibilities coming out of the point that crisis forces us to go into places that we don't often want to go into, but equally, like it gives us these moments of light to see what is possible. And I think that that's, that's a great thing. So yeah, whilst people may be facing challenges in their day-to-day -day at this point in time, like, is it really a challenge? Is it something that you can not just address, but actually overcome? And I think there's a real possibility for people to like build out through this turmoil a better life for themselves and also those around them. So yeah, yeah. it's a it's an amazing opportunity essentially. So when you did say about like it's it was a wake up call, like there's even people like Professor Anthony Klotz. He was talking about the grand the Great Resignation, but it it is like more of a period of great great awakening whereby people do look at their lives they spent time with loved ones again they sadly some in some cases lost loved ones and that period of reflection kind of opened people's eyes to what is possible so i'm stoked for the future because there's so much ahead of us that it is a world to be embraced not feared yeah yeah and, and for me to be able to embrace those opportunities it comes down to probably two things what one is you mentioned earlier about having that growth mindset uh, which I think is 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 absolutely important. Fundamentally, it's important, and I think the other part to it that perhaps maybe is often overlooked because we, we don't really recognise it as as, as as being as significant as it is is our self esteem. You know, our relationship with ourselves. Because even if we have a growth mind, if we've got like one foot on the accelerator, which is our growth mindset, but we've got one foot on the brake because the, our self-esteem or our narrative about what we can achieve, it, perhaps it, the two aren't aligned and in conjunction, kind of we can have this kind of really frustrating experience where, you know, we kind of feel like we're trying, but we're not making any progress, which, you know, the, being stifled by life actually can be can be quite difficult. There's a few kind of sliding door moments for me. And, and, and at the time, they provided me with a different path and, and and maybe going back to COVID or, you know, questioning mortality or a bereavement or, you know, an adverse experience, you know, so people don't miss this. Maybe I'll, I'll share one of them. So in 2017, me and my wife, we were, uh, we built a new marriage now. We have two children instead of one. But when I was kind of in this period of self-induced isolation because of my shame and my inability to verbalize and to articulate how I was feeling, you know, I was, uh, I exited my marriage and, me and my wife, we on Christmas Day we FaceTimed each other so that we so I could see my daughter Sophia. You know, tears running down my face, kind of like, how has my life ended up like this? Uh, you know, that kind of that constant critical voice was kind of playing out in my mind. For me, I hid firstly in work, uh, and I also hid in exercise. So, you know, on Christmas Day, living in a rental, in a process of separation from my family and divorce with my wife, I grabbed my dog, my spaniel, and uh, I took him out for a run on the beach in South Wales where I live. And, you know, 13, 15 miles later, came home and uh, opened a bottle of red wine. Uh, and I drank it probably too too quick. Uh, and then I opened another. But a few months earlier, a friend of mine who had, had undoubtedly, you know, experienced a little bit of burnout in her life from her professional career, she'd bought me a book and said, you know, when the time's right, you'll read this. And I didn't know that the time was right. But intuitively, I just opened this drawer and took out this book that I actually had no intention of reading because it was from a spiritual nature. And I was kind of still in that kind of like military mindset mission mode. But within the first 50 pages of a fantastic book called Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, I learned to, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, from your It's a great book. A great book. Uh, I definitely recommend it. I, I learned that I could not stop the, the 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 chastising and the critical voice that I had inside my head, but I could definitely dial down the volume. And what that did, Peter, for me, for the first time in probably a year, I had some space between my thoughts. I had some capacity back in my life. Uh, and that meant I was able to, to think differently, which meant I was able to feel differently about myself. And because I was thinking and feeling differently, I was able to, to do different things. And, and I think as a result, I've become a different person. A few months later, naively, my wife and I, we decided that we would go out to the Maldives, to uh, the Indian Ocean, to kind of 
you know, fly out there and have this kind of great five-day experience, just the two of us, uh, and come back kind of happily married. Uh, and whilst it didn't happen like that, I was on the beach and I was reading a book called Legacy. It's about the, the, the All Blacks, the rugby team, and what makes them so successful. Ironic that we're talking about Legacy today. Um, but nevertheless, there's a guy a few sunbeds down and he was talking, he was reading uh, Steve Peters' Chimp Paradox, another great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he kind of jokingly, but but didn't let it slip. He's like, you know, we must be the only two guys in the Maldives reading self-help books. He's like, uh, grab a beer and uh, we, we, we'll swap our stories. And this guy was persistent. I couldn't get rid of him. I tried to bat him off with a little bit of humour. But he was like, no, let's get a beer. Let's uh, let's let's sit and have a chat. So uh, this guy, I didn't recognise him, but he turns out he's next premiership football player. Uh, he played for one of the London clubs back in the 90s. And uh, he'd been living in a penthouse and driving sports cars and kind of living a high-flying, high-paid lifestyle. And then he's had two knee operations, which hadn't worked. Uh, and at this point, we're sat on a white sandy beach looking out over a turquoise ocean. You could actually even see it on occasion, the, the black tips of the reef sharks swimming around this house reef in the Maldives. I'd never heard a man speak with such expressiveness. Uh, and I don't like the word vulnerability because I don't think that men want to be vulnerable because there's a connotation, perhaps, that you're exposing yourself. But I think he expressed himself in a way that I'd never heard another man do. And he spoke about how after two knee operations, which hadn't worked, he'd gone from this kind of high paid lifestyle to, to, to being in his own in his own description, in, in the gutter. He was addicted to, to drugs and to prostitutes. And, uh, and then he turned to me on this beach and he said, the only difference in life between a grave and a rut is the depth. The only difference in life between a grave and a rut is the depth. And I was that was like straight in my heart, profound. And I walked back across the beach to my wife Rachel, and um, and uh, I said because I had another business at the time. I said when I get when I get home, I'm going to shut my business down. She sort of looked up, gave me a bit of a smile, and didn't really say anything. But um, on the way back then from Dubai through to Heathrow, and I wrote an exit plan for my business and shut it down six weeks later, and I took eight months out. So without the book and dialing down the volume on my inner dialogue, and without that guy kind of you know articulating the difference between a grave and a rut is the depth, and me realizing that actually you know I could really end up in in, in serious trouble here, both mentally and in life, if I didn't take preventive action. You know they were they were the catalyst for me kind of starting this journey. Now that's amazing. Who else? Like you obviously he had a massive impact on you, but who else in your life, be it personal or or books that you've read have had an equally profound impact on your on your current journey. Yeah, so we have two children now. Sophia will be six in December, and Spencer uh, is three and a half. And uh, when we're going back, kind of three years now, Spencer was about six months old. Kind of not having my dad in my life and really having never interaction with him was kind of no interaction with him ever was kind of. I'm going to say something that sounds, uh, it was in the back of my mind. And uh, whenever my clients talk about, you know, this is the back of my mind, I, I always say to me, you know, there's no such thing as the back of the mind. But uh, it was always there. I just, uh, you know, maybe it was fear. Maybe I just wasn't ready to to, to take this on. But uh, I realized that not having answers around my dad and being the father of the son, kind of there's a, there's a hole uh, I needed to I needed to address. So I found a private investigator, paid him a few thousand pounds to go, to go and find my father. This was probably in the October of 2019. And this guy was great, you know, ex-police officer. There was kind of, there, there was no kind of ambiguity. It was like, this is the brief. This is what I need you to do. He came back with a plan and he went away and executed that plan. Uh, but actually what he came back with was that I did, instructed him and paid him in the October. Uh, and he came back to me essentially with a death certificate for my dad who died in the September. So literally the month before I chose to find my dad, he passed. You know, I was really I was sad about that because I never got the opportunity to meet him. But still, it didn't it didn't fill that void I had in my heart and answer those questions that I needed to answer. So uh, he he gave me the next of kin on my father's side, which is my auntie. So I drove kind of four hours from South Wales up to the northwest to go knock on a lady's door on a Sunday evening that I didn't know whether she knew anything about me or what she was going to share. And I drove up there kind of four hours just just observing my thoughts, not following any of them down a rabbit hole, not being like too fearful or too concerned. And when I got there on a Sunday evening in November and I knocked on a door, she didn't answer. <laughs> and uh, I got back in my car, but uh, my, my, my inner dialogue was shouting, no, Dan, no, 
turn around, go back. Uh, and I did. And I banged on her door on a Sunday evening in the depths of winter until she opened the, she, until she opened it. Uh, and kind of once we got past the, the point that I wasn't there to kind of look for any kind of inheritance or, or to access any of his estate, we had a, a, a really great conversation. It turns out my dad had never acknowledged me to his family and there'd always been kind of rumours in his family and his friendship circles. But actually, you know, no one ever spoke about me and, and about him having a son. I drove back through the night to Swansea, got back into, into bed with my wife probably about 1am in the morning. And uh, when I woke up in the morning, my wife said, you know, before she even asked me, how did it go? She said, you, you, you feel different. And at the time, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. But um, looking back, what I've recognised is that, that the hole that I'd always been trying to fill through never really feeling good enough, knowing that I'd achieved all of these things in my life, whilst never feeling good enough, kind of challenged me because it gave me permission to recognise that I was already enough. And in answer to your question, I think that for me, you know, past maybe some of the earlier wins that I'd experienced in my own journey of introspection and growth, that was perhaps the pivotal moment because that was the moment that I stopped. I stopped doubting myself. I stopped fear getting in my way. And, you know, probably without that, I would have never written this book now, which has become an Amazon bestseller. I would never be, you know, championing men uh, and calling us forward, not calling us out, but calling us forward to, to live and to be better role models for our children uh, if I hadn't had that experience. Exactly. And it's it's made you a better man for it. So kind of talking about the better man, Let's maybe walk through what the better man is, what the, like what the values are, the work that you do in respect to lead men and mountains, and yeah, like living, leading, and legacy building. Yeah, yeah. So f- for me to to put some context around being a better man, you know, underneath my logo at the time, I didn't really didn't really, it was they were kind of words that I felt were important, but now I can I can I really live into them. So there's this three words underneath my my company logo, and the first one is presence. And uh, and being a better man is about being present in your life, you know, being self-aware, which I think is the, is a prerequisite of any growth and any change and, and any meaning. So being present. Uh, the second is purposeful, kind of living with a deliberate sense of purpose in your life, kind of knowing who you are and what you want and kind of being able to, to assert yourself maybe compassionately when required other times kind of to the point where people understand that you're on a mission. Uh, and the first part, the third word is performance. And, and that is about actually achieving in your life, you know, that self-leadership piece about intentionally influencing your thoughts, your feelings and actions in the pursuit of your own goals. So, and the better man for me is somebody that is present, that is purposeful and is performing in the key areas of his life. When I kind of stepped back from a lot of the WhatsApp groups that I was involved in, which were quite frankly, a lot of noise, uh, a lot of kind of, you know, locker room kind of banter. There's no meaning in depth right. of connection. Yeah, it, was all, it, was all, it was all bullshit, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I left a lot of WhatsApp groups. And what I didn't realize in, in in deliberately doing that, a side effect was that my phone stopped ringing. There was less notifications. There was less invites to social functions. And I actually felt a bit lonely in my life. But uh, that was exactly what I needed because I needed to experience that to, to cause some thought provocation. Uh, and the thought that came up for me off the back of my loneliness and stepping away from those WhatsApp groups uh, and leaving arguably those superficial friendships behind was that I wanted to, to create a space that would allow good quality, like-minded men to come together uh, and have real conversations, you know, not just about the challenges they're experiencing in their lives, but have a place where they feel that they can be supported by other men. Uh, and off the back of it, because I was a mountain leader in the military, came a community project for me called Men and Mountains. Uh, and now in, through, through Men and Mountains, there's probably about 350 men from all across the UK. What looks like a fairly narrow demographic in the the, the male, the, the physically capable, but actually there's a lot more depth to it. You know, we've got people from from tradesmen to to you know international CEOs from the the northeast where where your base pizza all the way down to the south coast from Brighton, uh, where people will choose not all at the same time, but once a month with no cost and no commitment, they'll come together to share the time and the experience to walk and talk in nature with yeah good quality like minded men. For me, yeah, I get a real sense of achievement about you know, pulling up into a car park or a lay-by, usually in a Brecon Beacons on a Sunday morning once a month uh, and seeing all of these men with that kind of, that nervous anticipation of energy about to, to go out and to do something physical collectively and together. And uh, in every walk, there is a topic of conversation. Uh, and actually the topic of conversation for the walk, which will be on this Sunday, Sunday the 16th of October, is to talk about the challenges that we're experiencing in our life 
and how they might be advantageous in the future. So talk about the challenges we're experiencing in our life and how they might be advantageous in the future. So that's the topic of conversation. Uh, you know, sometimes we will we'll walk in silence and I'll ask people just to observe the, the thoughts and the, the, the chatter. Other times we'll sit on the side of a mountain and we'll kind of just hold space for each other. But ultimately, it's for me, it's it's something I find deeply fulfilling, creating that space. Yeah, and I can see why, because it's like, it's a great, unique space to bring people to kind of turn off the phone, to kind of be present in the moment and yeah. kind of, you know, work through work, work through really what what people are feeling, are, are thinking and, you know, support one another yeah. on this kind of journey for change because, yeah, like it's a great thing. And, you know, like I'm a huge advocate of, of fitness and, and exercise. So it's like, it has to be part of your purpose. You know, you're not just changing yourself internally, like change yourself physically. It yeah. brings um, added re- added reward as well. So I'd imagine sooner, sooner rather than later that I'll probably join up for one of those things because I think they're a great idea. But the challenges that we face, like we've, we've talked over WhatsApp, like we're about to have twins and yeah, like I'm both shit scared and stoked at the same time. So it's like, yeah, like these things, like when, when we're more open about how we really feel and what, what, what we're going through, then yeah it builds deeper levels of connection. And at a time when we've seen an awful lot of separation through periods of lockdowns to um, where we are now in respect to the economy, I think people are looking towards actively connecting with one another and connecting through a place of, of meaning and value rather than kind of just simply for connections for the sake of connections. I'm, I'm stoked for that. I think you've got you've got a really good thing going with, with that and I, and I wish you the best of looks in the in the future with where you're going to take it. I hope you take it overseas because I think there's there's a lot more amazing places to be climbed and, and witnessed and shared with with one another as well. So yeah, there, there is a thing in there that like in your book that definitely resonated when we're talking about the, the topic of progress and it is like pain plus reflection equals progress. Yeah. And I, I love that. Yeah, that was um, reference to Ray Dalio, one of the, the 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 biggest hedge fund managers in the world. Uh, incredible guy. He's written a really in depth book. I'm looking at it now. It's called Principles, and it's split into three sections. It's about like the the purpose, the point of principles, and then work principles and life principles. Uh, but but in the kind of that really caught my attention because it was the pain that kind of woke me to my experience of life. Uh, and if I hadn't allowed myself to experience that pain, I would have kind of fallen kind of below the line of self-leadership, you know, went to, for me, kind of like blame and avoidance. And I, I chose not to do that because of, of that passage of the book. So that was quite pivotal as well. But then again, reflection is really important. And, you know, kind of reviewing your life without kind of being critical and trying to do it kind of objectively allows you really to progress. And uh, and, and in the book, I, I call it, it's a, it's a concept that I kind of came up with called the four pillars of progression. And, uh, and the first one is exactly what we're talking about here, Peter. And this is why I feel it relevant. It's awareness, you know, and we, we've got to have an awareness about where we are and what we're experiencing. Uh, and we can't just keep our, our head down with a lack of capacity and keep just kind of firefighting through life. We've got to be aware. And then when we become aware of whatever we're experiencing, there's an element then of acceptance, because if we're not accepting kind of that there's a need to take greater ownership of the life that we're living, then we can't get to the third pillar and that's action. And it's only through action, you know, through physically doing things out there in the external world that we actually get to change our experience and equally our internal representation. Uh, and the, the last pillar, the fourth one, is about accountability. You know, I, I think that I'm a real advocate of external accountability. You know, there's a point that I will trust myself, but sometimes, you know, you know, you can't recognize your own blind spots. And sometimes your own levels of fear, whatever that might be, might get in the way, which might mean you're not, you won't, might, you might not do the thing that you need to do. So with awareness comes acceptance. With awareness and acceptance means that you can take action. And, and sometimes you need that little bit of external accountability to move you forward. I think that they're the pillars that you really need to kind of take ownership of to, to move from where you are to where you want to be. So looking at kind of where, where you want to be, maybe walk through what you envisage is next in respect to your own journey, the evolution of, of you know, what you're getting off the back end of the book and, and also the work that you do. And then equally to people that are listening to this, you know, maybe like two, three t- key takeaways that they could take into their own lives to kind of drive a better version of themselves, to drive that progressive change and to kind of yeah. lean into fear and, you know, change themselves. For me, off the back of the book, to, to answer that question, firstly, it's taken me 11 months 
from kind of conception to, to publication to kind of get to the stage, which everyone keeps telling me that's a really quick time frame, and, and maybe that's where some of those military skills around kind of planning and discipline really paid off. But uh, what, what I'm conscious of now is that, you know, I, I started off one of my, my third word was business and I changed it to being productive. What I'm conscious of now is, is defending my space. I only work a four day week um, throughout the book. My fifth day was spent on the book uh, and I want to get back now to defending that space. Back to a four day week where my working hours are between 9.15 and 5.00 PM. I want to have that space back in my mind and, and, and have that capacity back in my heart to connect with people in meaningful ways. And uh, I know that success is relative, but um, fundamentally for me, you know, success is about enjoying the life that I'm living and feeling, you know, proud of what it is that I'm that I stand for, uh, and doing that on a consistent basis. You know, living with with high 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 levels of health, with liberty, uh, and with my head up and my heart full. My mantra, and that's what I'm looking to do. So for over the next kind of three to six months, I'm kind of very mindful about what I allow into my diary because I recognize that if I allow things in that are kind of going to dilute me or take me away from my purpose, that they're, they're not really going to serve me moving forward. Naturally, I'll just create a state of busyness that I'm keen to avoid. So that's kind of off the back of the book. Um, three takeaways that I think are, are important. I think the first is to forget the fallacy of balance. You know, when you think about work-life balance, you know, Automatically, people, you know, if they have a visual representation, it could be of all traditional weighing scales having equal things at the same time, which, you know, because of the complexities and the dynamicism of life, it just doesn't happen. So the first point would be to, to swap balance with buoyancy. You know, when the have some capacity in your life, so when the, the sea of life rises through either work challenges or personal circumstances, that you don't you don't drown through your own business and your own stress. So to be buoyant, not balanced, I think is, is the first point. The next point would be to do as I've just suggested and defend your time, to create some space in your in your day-to-day life where you can take stock and reflect. Uh, we spoke earlier about quotes. There's a quote I love by Han, and it's only when you stop that you can experience life. And, and it's only then that we can have an awareness about kind of what it is that we're, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, what it is that we're achieving or what it is that we're not achieving. So to be have buoyancy over balance, to defend time to reflect every day and uh, whether that's done through mindfulness or exercise or journaling it's irrelevant but just have some time to yourself every day and then the third point for me would be connection connection you know i think that it's life can be lonely when we're driven to exceed professionally or succeed professionally and i think if we don't make time for equally ourselves and to be connected to our friends and our family, our loved ones and our children, then, then ultimately, regardless of kind of what we have, it won't be what we need uh, and, and life won't feel the way we expect. That's amazing. Thank you so much. It's been great connecting to you. And um, yeah, I wish you all the very best of luck with the book and everything that you do. I think you, you're you're doing awesome. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, and, and if people want the book, they can go to my website, www.better-men.uk and look for the Rethinking Masculinity tab. Um, I'm posting it out. The book is, is no cost, but the postage is £3. So if anybody's listening to this and they want a copy of my book and they don't want to pay Jeff Pezos thirteen ninety nine, they can get it from my website for £3. Oh, nice. That's an amazing deal. And well worth the value, well worth the read. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. 